This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's August 10th. We want to welcome you to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. It's Jesperson and Hicks with you. Johnny, it's Miracle Treat Day today. And so we're going to be telling you more about that when we officially get to talking about our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. But today is a great day to go buy a blizzard, to go buy... 30 blizzards in support of the Stollery Children's Hospital 30. Foundation. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe buy the neighborhood a whole bunch of blizzards. Maybe pick them up for your, uh, you know, your co-ed softball team or maybe for the folks at the office, whatever it is. Surprise the kids when you pick them up this afternoon from summer camp and grab blizzards in support of the Stollery. We're going to be talking to Najwan El-Junaid. Uh, she's the newly minted, I mean, relatively newly minted MLA in Calgary, Glenmore. Knocked off the conservative incumbent there. She's uh, got a role as the energy critic, one of two uh, for energy and climate. They call them shadow ministers with the official opposition, Alberta NDP. We'll get her response to uh, the Honorable Minister Rebecca Schultz, who joined us yesterday on the show. Of course, Alberta's Minister of Environment and Protected Areas and energy economist Andrew Leach will join us today. We promised you this week, uh, and I'm stealing Charles Adler's characterization of it. We're going to have an electrifying week here on Real Talk uh, discussing a really prominent story out of our home province of Alberta that people are talking about across the country right now, and that's the Danielle Smith government pressing pause on new wind and solar projects, uh, the bigger ones anyway, for the next six and a half, seven months until they say they get a lay of the land, until they're confident that they're responding to landowner concerns. Minister Schultz talked to us about that yesterday. Uh, you can check out that interview on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And then we're going to get to a couple of emails. We've got a great one from Tom, who uh, writes in from Lethbridge, and one from Amy. Uh, Amy fought to become uh, and, and successfully fought to become the first in Alberta. She was working with uh, you know her neighbors, uh, fellow uh, concerned citizens with the FLCC. This is the Frank Lake concerned citizens group they successfully fought to kill a solar project in alberta uh and amy says they did it for the birds says they did it for the wildlife and so we're going to get to both of those emails today but i don't, I don't know about you my, my my i got a bit of a, a pit in my stomach today um taking a look at what's going on in lahaina and maui oh, in hawaii uh this is a, a a place that has been uh obviously huge in the history of hawaii this was the original capital of the hawaiian kingdom um you know to put it this way you know this is where king kamehameha's palace still is uh, there's a huge amount of history in lahaina uh in in more recent years it's been a huge draw for visitors to maui we've spent a lot of time there in, in lahaina and horrific wildfires uh, johnny check out this video i'm showing here this is a video captured from a passenger plane uh this is somebody i don't know who shot it or oh, we credit geez. them but this is, somebody shot this uh from a plane flying over maui you can see i mean Literally, the entire town is on fire. At least 36 people have been killed. It's a horrific event. Um, they say that uh, there was a, a time last night uh, where there were simply no fire trucks available mm -hmm. whatsoever. Basically, uh, downtown Lahaina, it's, it's, a, it's a modest and wonderful and beautiful town. You've been, least, right? Yeah, we've been there. We've spent a lot of time there. Actually, a guy saved my life on a scuba dive in Lahaina, so, I, so I've got kind of an interesting uh, connection to that place. When I hear the word Lahaina, it takes me back to a mm -hmm. kind of a, a pretty significant moment in my life, but, town, but it's right? not about me. There's, there's a lot 
long history of fishing there. I mean, check out this video. This after the fire has, has torn through. I mean, the, the entire place uh, is absolutely destroyed. Uh, rescuers said that uh, at least 14 people, uh, Johnny, were saved from Lahaina Harbor, where they had jumped into the water oh, to escape the fires at both sides of the street. Everything was on fire. And this morning, uh, you know, the governor of Hawaii and everybody's just trying to process this. Check this out. This photo here. Uh, this is the largest banyan tree in America, in the heart of Lahaina. This is Keniela Ng who tweeted this. Uh, that that tree turned 150 years old this year, and they say here it is after the Maui fires, uh, if not destroyed, obviously very badly damaged. Uh, says Keniela, uh, a tragic symbol of the climate emergency and colonial greed. Mm. I know, yeah, a lot of people probably don't even like to see it described as the largest banyan tree in America, right? I mean, this is difficult for a lot of, of, of native Hawaiians. And, uh, and this here, this aerial footage that was released this morning, this is from Air Maui helicopter tours, uh, just shows, I mean, you can see this smoke. Over, I mean, the, the, uh, if, you, if you've ever been to Lahaina, uh, this entire place will be but a memory, and I'm sure it will rebuild, but like it, it's very rare. I'm thinking back to like Slave Lake and Fort McMurray, Right, I think 2013, 2015 yeah. were those fires. I should remember the year 2016. BC maybe, just but, recently. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's right, exactly. Entire town. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is an entire community uh, demolished, destroyed. And uh, I don't know, man. I don't have anything really profound to say about it, except for I'm in shock at these images. These photos are And just, just uh, trying to wrap my mind around it. You know, some people, I, I've seen arguments online. I don't know that these are productive or not. People talking about, well, you know, were these human caused? What caused the wildfires? One thing that they do know uh, is that Hurricane Dora, although not necessarily uh, relatively nearby, was still fueling winds. Yeah. Uh, they were saying 60 kilometer an hour, so let's call it 100 kilometer an hour, uh, 60 mile an hour, 100 kilometer an hour winds that were obviously fueling that fire. Definitely contributed to it. Contributed to it. And, and people will say, you know, whether or not a fire was caused, um, you know, by lightning or it was caused by human carelessness. It could be a cigarette butt or what have you, or in some circumstances, arson. Um, I, I know that even invoking that word has, has been a, a divisive one in Western Canada wildfire talk this season. But you cannot deny that, uh, you know, the conditions for wildfires like these are made more combustible uh, by changes in climate. And it, it's a reminder of why we're talking this week about things like renewable energy, green energy, sustainable energy, emissions. We've spent a lot of time this summer talking about that. And, and if you want, you can scroll through our, our podcast or YouTube archives and check out the thumbnails and, and learn more ab about a whole bunch of stuff connected to this. We want to make sure that we're driving conversations that have meaning and that provide value so we can better understand uh, what we're talking about and why we're talking about it, how we're processing events that happen in the world around us, including uh, in the past 24 hours or so in Lahaina on the island of Maui. In just a second, the MLA for Calgary Glenmore. But first, you know, did you know that certified financial planners, most of them in Canada, are starting uh, at six-figure earnings in Canada? And the demand for that career for CFPs is growing fast. If you're looking for a new opportunity and this appeals to you, helping people, you know, achieve their financial goals... Number one, making life better for your clients, uh, people that you care about. You can become a CFP with Business Career College. You could launch your own business, earn great money, and help others along the way. Choose your path to success with Business Career College. It's the best place to get your CFP with online courses, 
expert instructors to help you through and decades of experience helping students succeed. Pave the way for your path to success today by visiting businesscareercollege.com. Najwan Elginaid is the NDP MLA for Calgary Glenmore. She's currently serving as the shadow minister for energy and climate overseeing electricity, renewables and utilities. And as a matter of fact, she's making her Real Talk debut as an NDP MLA. It's nice to see your face and thanks for making time for us. Good to see you, Ryan. It is indeed my real talk debut. Yeah. Hey, we haven't we haven't had a chance to talk to you. Um, we talked a lot about you and a couple of your colleagues in Calgary because th- these were some of the nail biter ridings. These were some of the ones that were going to recounts, and and you were one of those um, NDP candidates at the time who knocked off uh, a United Conservative incumbent in in what I would refer to at least history says uh, is a conservative riding. Are you still kind of wrapping your mind? around that period you know it was a very tight race an exciting one and look i love this writing uh people there pay attention they have many questions uh and you know i we door knocked thousands and thousands of doors and that's what mattered at the end Uh, people loved that we were showing up and and having conversations and uh uh, really putting forward exciting uh and interesting ideas for the future of alberta and here we are so it's been it's been wonderful thank Uh, you yeah we, I want to make sure that, you know, people that, that maybe don't know a lot about you understand, uh, you know, we want to like establish credibility with our guests and, and, and help the audience quickly come to an understanding of, of your level of understanding of the subject matter that we're talking about before you got into politics. Uh, when we talk about energy, um, this is something that, that a significant portion of your career has centered around. Can, can you give us kind of a, a look at your CV in a sense or how you approach conversations about in particular electricity? Yeah, so I've spent the last 15 years uh, in the energy sector. I worked in oil and gas, I worked in oil sands, uh, the Energy Futures Lab, and also Total Energies. This is uh, a multinational French energy company. I worked for them abroad and here in Canada in the oil sands operations. Uh, My last job, I was uh, the director of the Business Renewable Center Canada, where I worked with large corporations to advance uh, large-scale renewables uh, here in Alberta. Uh, And, you know, know, uh, look, Ryan, I think Alberta has an exciting future. Uh, we can be leaders in all types of energy. Uh, we can, yes, advance uh, a low emission oil and gas operations, and we can expand our renewable sector uh, and even beyond the renewable sectors. There's so many exciting uh, new technologies uh, that we can be uh, working on to attract investments, uh, ensure economic prosperity for Alberta and create and create exciting jobs in this province uh so i I believe we have an exciting future for alberta Uh, what was your what was your first react sorry to step on your toes there what what was what was your first reaction uh when you heard uh the united conservative announcement last thursday that they were going to press pause uh you know they're describing it essentially minister schultz did yesterday as a prudent move they say that this was the number one concern they heard from rural landowners rural stakeholders they said concerns around wind and solar development so they're so they're pressing pause for now they say until across a number of ministries they can get a better sense of of what oversight needs to look like what was your first response My immediate response was shock, frankly. Uh, This is a a move, this 
moratorium, let's call it the way it is, uh, is sending a terrible message to investors, uh, to companies that have invested billions of dollars uh, in investment here in Alberta and created thousands and thousands of jobs. Uh, it is also signaling that we're not open for business. And let me tell you, I've been talking to many companies, both incumbent generators and renewable energy companies, and no one saw this coming. There was no due process. There was no real consultation. Uh, leaders in this industry was were panic texting uh, the evening of the announcements. They were calling me, uh, have you heard of this moratorium? Like this is frankly done in the most unilateral manner uh, with no due process and without any consultation. And I, I just to draw a personal story here in my last job, I, I used to go to all these meetings here in Canada and the, and the US. And I remember this meeting vividly when I was talking to this mega corporate uh, and they were sharing how their consulting firm was telling them, if you're buying renewables in Canada, go to Alberta uh, because of their uh, open uh, uh, deregulated market and skip Ontario. And there's a reason for that, uh, Ryan. Uh, the government of Ontario a few years ago canceled renewables contracts, over 700 government contracts. And it was, uh, I think it was around 200, it cost them around $200 million, okay? Uh, and what it cost them more than that because it cost them the reputation as an investment destination. And now I worry that this blanket ban on renewables for seven months will cost us our reputation here in Alberta as an investment destination. Uh, I asked Minister Schultz about that yesterday, and um, and and I understand that you know she's a politician. You're a politician. Both of you are going to politic. Um, but I but I asked her. I said, "Are you concerned about Alberta's reputation here? Are you concerned about you know the message that it might send, not just to investors, but to members of the public?" People can hear her full answer, obviously, by watching the full interview. That's what I encourage them to do. But basically, she said, "We're not the only." Once, as a matter of fact, she didn't say that at all. She, she said, if you want to talk about uncertainty, she said, look at the federal government. There was a lot of talk about the different jurisdictions. Uh, but, but she indicated that that's not of great concern to the government at this point, that this might be sending a message of uncertainty, uh, in particular to investors or would-be investors in Alberta. Why do you disagree with that? Frankly, this shows a lack of understanding. I, I have spent 15 years in the energy sector. I've never seen such a move by any government, like halting investing uh, investments and closing the province for a big project. This is an unheard move. And you know what? Actually, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's break this down a little bit, Ryan, okay? Um, let's look at all the ministries handling uh, this file right now and dropping the ball on it. Let's start with the Ministry of affordability and uh, utilities. The mandate of this ministry is to provide pro uh, affordable electricity. Uh, and this minister goes and blocks people from creating more supply low cost energy supply. And we know renewables right now are the cheapest source of energy. So that's interesting. Uh, let's look at uh, Minister Schultz ministry. That's the environment and parks ministry. Um, this ministry is in charge of tier. And let's quickly explain what tier is. 
Here is this emission management regulation that helps heavy industry, uh, that's oil sands, oil and gas, to reduce their emissions through technologies. Uh, and what this fascinating regulation does, it, it has this ratcheting effect. So the more stringent, uh, stringent this regulation is, the more it drives uh, demand for credits. And guess what? Renewables are excellent, high quality credits that help the oil and gas and oil sands industry to meet their climate uh, goals and make them more viable for investments. Um, so the tier is part of that Ministry of Environment and Parks. And last year, this government actually conducted a full review of tier and credit when credit is due. Uh, this was done by uh, former minister uh, Whitney Isaac and former minister uh, Sonia Savage, because both of them clearly understood uh, that renewables are the lowest cost of energy and they tightened tier. So that ratcheting effect, which is demanding uh, or signaling more demand for renewables. Um, so that ministry, environmental parks, are they are in charge of tier so curious if rebecca schultz um i think she knows better i'm not too sure what's happening there so that's the second ministry dropping the ball on this spot third ministry is the ministry of red tape reduction and this ministry their sole existence is to reduce red tape and they go and wrap the renewable sector with the biggest red tape out there is frankly shocking, uh, fascinating actually. And then the fourth ministry here is the Ministry of Energy. Where is the Minister of Energy on all this? Renewables are a form of energy. Just a, a like friendly reminder here. So these are four ministries dropping the, the ball on a multi-billion dollar sector that has created thousands and thousands of doors of, of jobs. And I'm not too sure what's happening there, uh, but I see one common thread, which is their boss. That's Daniel Smith. Um I should note, just of interest to the audience, uh, you mentioned former MLA Whitney Isaac. That's that's who you knocked off in Calgary Glenmore, which is just kind of a point of interest uh, in this interview. We, we've got some some comments on the live chat. I always try to work these in, and and uh, you know, Bunny says I'm still under the impression that the oil and gas industry was freaking out about the strides that renewables was making here in Alberta, and were on its way. They were on the way to make uh, to meeting those 2035. Uh, targets. Um, I don't know if it's oil and gas freaking out. I don't. I don't know if it's uh, you know something to do with uh, protecting uh, natural gas and 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 potentially um, you know creating a circumstance for more success uh, and, and more international reach. Exports is what I'm talking about uh, with LNG or natural gas out of Alberta. I've seen a lot of people talking about uh, the, one of the significant differences here when it comes to government revenues, and I'm getting out of my depth. Um, you would know more about this than me, and, and Dr. Andrew Leach would probably know more than both of us about this. No offense to you or me uh, as an energy economist, uh, but people are talking about you know mineral rights versus surface rights, and there's a lot of money at play here, uh, and, and there's a lot of uh, revenue futures at play here. How much do you think that any of that is factoring into this decision? I'm particularly interested in your perspective on natural gas. Well, you can dig really deep with uh, Professor Andrew Leach, uh, but I, I just want to remind everybody that oil and gas companies and oil sands buy renewables. Mm -hmm. So, Synovus, Imperial, uh, TC Energy and Enbridge are building so many renewable uh, projects here in Alberta. 
just let's let's just remember all this like the renewables are part of the mix for these companies to achieve their environmental and social commitments and to show that they're serious about climate and to show that they're viable for investments because that's where the money is going they're going to low emission type of investments uh, so that's the first thing Secondly, like we have to remember that Alberta's electricity grid is still three quarters natural gas and around 13, 13% renewables. That's solar, um, wind, and uh, uh, and hydro. Uh, so natural gas is not going anywhere. I just want to calm everyone uh, here who thinks this is about um, moving away. Uh, this is we still need a diversified grid. The idea here is to add low cost energy supply. The idea here is to add low emissions uh, type of uh, sources into our grid. We need we need a reliable, uh, affordable and low emissions grid like this is the formula. And our plan, whatever we create as a, as a province, has to always keep that north star. You need to think about reliability, you need to think about affordability, and you need to think about emissions. Uh, you cannot be building uh, new projects without thinking about emissions. And there's tech around that. There are technologies, uh, and we've heard many uh, companies talking about uh, investments in CCUS to uh, reduce emissions from electricity. Uh, so we need to be signaling and sending the right messages to the world that we're open for business, not closing down and shutting down the industry uh, to bring more of these uh, investments and creating more of these jobs in this sector. Uh, I can tell you for sure, it's uh, the solution is not a moratorium. I want to jump back into our live chat here. Uh, Ken is is uh, on this growing list of people that are smarter than me and understand more about this issue. Um, Ken says the best thing that the NDP could do is put aside outrage and calmly explain how a parallel capacity market, which was going to be put in place in 2019, would help give natural gas baseload a market. Is that something you want to comment on from Ken? You know, so first of all, the Alberta NDP back in 2015, what, what they did, what the government did was launching the renewables electricity uh, program. And what that program did was uh, showing uh, the business common sense uh, for contracts for difference to uh, to show that renewables are the cheapest source of energy. And Andrew Leach was involved. You can ask him all these uh, questions as well. Uh, so the number one driver right now for renewables and for low emission uh, energy sources uh, is uh, the private sector. The private sector, these are the companies like Amazon and Microsoft and RBC and TELUS, uh, all of them, and oil and gas and oil sense companies, they're all of them flocking Alberta here to buy renewables. You need to, cry, to create the right circumstances uh, to, to make economic sense uh, for these companies to invest. Um, so there are many ways, like you need to start thinking about different policies uh, to create uh, and advance different uh, segments of that sector. Um, so that would be my biggest comment. Uh, it's certainly not a moratorium. Uh, you need different uh, policies to attract different types of investments into it. And it needs that private sector collaboration. You need to work with industry. You need to incentivize the industry uh, to come uh, and invest in this space. 
Um, Amy is watching, says solar and wind needs regulation and needs to be held uh, to high standards. Alberta girl says deregulation hurts the consumer, landowners and taxpayers. Uh, I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Alberta girl says I'm disappointed. The NDP endorses the lack of regulations and landowner abuses. Uh, I haven't heard you state it that plainly, but what would you say to Alberta girl if she said that to you at a mixer? So the first thing to say, you can, we should absolutely always uh, improve the regulatory process. You you should always review and implement best practices in every sector, renewables, traditional, all of that. What I'm saying here, you can still be open for business while conducting a serious review on the regulatory process and do proper consultation with everybody, landowners, uh, stakeholders, a renewable energy company, companies. Absolutely. You sh- we should always do better in on the regulatory process. We have right now a regulatory process that weeds out bad projects and keeps better ones. Um, if there are projects falling between the cracks, we should actually look into that 100%. But to shut down a whole industry makes no sense. This has never happened in Alberta's history. I, I haven't heard of it. Like, can someone tell us if this has ever happened? Um, like, since when governments shut down multi-billion industries? And I just want a quick comment on, and this can be confusing, but renewable energy companies cannot put a nail uh, on a landowner uh, a property without the agreement of the landowner. These are private properties, and these are private negotiations that happens between uh, the landowner and the company. This is the reality of this industry. You cannot put a nail without the agreement of the landowner. There are so many happy landowners. Uh, there are many happy municipalities right now making money, making revenue from these projects. But to punish the whole industry, to punish municipalities, to punish happy land owners, it's unacceptable and reckless, frankly. Um, And I just don't know what to say. I've never seen something like this. It makes zero sense. Uh, as we speak, the federal environment minister is is, is rolling out uh, Ottawa's proposed clean energy regulations, and, and so I'm, I'm I'm not sure if you've seen any embargoed copy that you can comment on. I haven't. Um, it's it's literally happening right now. But we do know that uh, the, the uh, draft net zero electricity regulations set to be released right now uh, will permit some natural gas power generation. Uh, this being reported by CBC per a, a verified uh, anonymous source within the federal environment ministry. Obviously, the feds have have seen pushback, significant pushback from uh, governments in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, They they say that uh, provinces and territories will have a minimum 75 day window to comment on the draft regulations. Final rules, of course, won't take effect until 2035. That's the year that the feds, Environment Minister Stephen Gabo said it on our show a little while ago. Uh, They want provinces like Alberta uh, to have grids that are net zero. Uh, Premier Danielle Smith says that it's impossible. Uh, Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz doubled down on that yesterday on this show. Does the Alberta NDP believe that it is possible for Alberta to achieve a net zero grid by 2035 or before? Uh, So, first of all, I haven't seen these regulations, but uh, my nerdy side side says this is the Super Bowl in electricity right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So, 
Here's the thing. I mean, it has been a hot minute. I haven't seen them, but I, I, I know for sure this government hasn't been at the table uh, in the last year to negotiate uh, or represent Alberta's history, uh, Alberta's interests. Sorry, um, you need to be at the table to negotiate. Uh, the future of this sector. Uh, so uh, these are extremely technical regulations, by the way, so we'll need time to analyze them and, uh, and look at them. Now, to answer your question, I mean, is it possible to achieve a net zero by 2035? Possible. I've, everything is possible, but oil sands were possible. Uh, this was uh, like when the oil, like the oil sands didn't happen on their own. We decided for the oil sands to happen. This was a public-private collaboration. It was a moonshot. So the question right now, what is that next moonshot? And we will need many moonshots in a climate-conscious world. So I see the net zero grid in the same uh, high ambition, uh, bold goals that we as a, as a, as a province could achieve. And my question is always like when when I hear people saying this is impossible, when did we stop problem solving? When did we stop imagining? When did we stop thinking and having a vision for this province? That's my question. Uh, so the world is full of possibilities. Alberta needs to be at the table. This government has been MIA in the whole in the last year, not negotiating Alberta's economic future, missing out uh, on serious, important conversations about this sector. Um, so um, I look forward to reading these uh, CERs and what they mean uh, for us and for Alberta. Hey, thanks for making time for us uh, today. We really appreciate the insight. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Yep, you Take got care. it. That's uh, Najwan Eljanade. She's uh, the uh, MLA. Out of Calgary, Glenmore, for the official opposition Alberta NDP, where she serves in the critic role, shadow ministry uh, for energy and climate, uh, in particular electricity, renewables, and utilities. They've kind of they've kind of got a, a, a two prong approach to that, with two of their MLAs in critic roles there on the energy and climate file, which sends a message on its own, doesn't it? Um, hey, I wanted to mention a comment from Justin here on the live chat. I saw it. Justin goes, Arr! he says we really need to stop hedging and giving politicians an excuse by saying we get that you're going to politic he says no we need less partisan bs not more excuses for it uh and justin i take your point and it's a fair point i guess what i'm saying is that when you're in an interview and you know you 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 want you you kind of know ahead of time what's going to happen you know that if you bring in an alberta government representative they're going to take big swings at ottawa you just know it you just know that if you bring in an opposition politician they're going to automatically disagree with and criticize the government if you you know if you talk to a government spokesperson about the opposition they're going to call them hysterical or out to lunch or divisive or polarizing we just know that's coming so my challenge and, and whether or not i do it well or not is up to you to decide is to get them outside of that you know not do you disagree but why do you disagree or what do you disagree with where are they getting it right? Do you find any common ground? Although I know a lot of people don't have an appetite for the where do you have common ground question no, not either. not these days. People don't like that. No. Where, 
are you finding common ground? Where are you working together? But I think they're valuable questions. But Justin, I get it. We always want to hold our guests to higher standards. And, and I think one of the benefits that you want to have, you want to be able to tell all your friends about, is that on Real Talk, you get different answers from the guests than you get on the other talk shows, right? We can get them out of their routine a little bit. We can get them feeling a little bit more candid, a little bit more willing to, to put it out there, what they really think. You know what I'm saying? Energy economist Andrew Leach in a quick second. But as mentioned, it's August 10th today, and that means that it is, for one day only, Miracle Treat Day. And that means that Dairy Queens, like our friends in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, that's my home DQ, and Baseline Road out in Sherwood Park are doing everything they can today to send thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. Here's how you can help. You go visit the Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton or in Sherwood Park on Baseline Road and you pick up at least one blizzard. Again, like I said, I'd love to see you pick up 30 of them. All of the proceeds for those blizzards are going to be donated to support children's health care. We're talking about brand newborns, infants, all the way up to teens that are tapping into those resources. The amazing equipment, of course, operated by the nation's best and most skilled medical professionals at the Stollery Children's Hospital. They see patients from B.C., Northwest Territories, Yukon, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and further away. If you've ever needed a reason to support the Stollery, today's a great one. It's Miracle Treat Day at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I want to remind you that if you're looking at in you know a reinvention of your indoor space, it could be in your, your primary bedroom. Maybe you, you've always dreamed of a walk-in closet that works for you. Maybe it's in your family's entertainment room, the living room, the family room, whatever you call it. If you'd love a space that works with function for you, but also beautiful design, you're going to want to start with a free design consultation today at californiaclosets.ca. That's a my wife and I did about 10 years ago and it has paid off in spades. It's unbelievable the quality of this design and how it not just increases the value of your home, but of course it makes your moments in that home that much more enjoyable, that much less stressful. The organization they bring to the table second to none and they're doing garages as well. Why not get the workhorse of your home, the garage, to work better for you? Forget about extension cords tangled up with snow shovels and bike pumps on the ground. California Closets does garages as well. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food are delivering to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. And they've got a special through the month of July that we want to tell you about. Uh, for the uh, August, what am I talking about, Johnny? I'm trying to make summer last even longer. Uh, for, for the month of August, if you go to granddog.ca, you can get 14 bucks off turkey raw pet food. The 40-pound boxes use the discount code August 2023 at checkout. This is a blend that's great for dogs and cats, by the way. It's Alberta-raised turkey from human-grade facilities. This is the best protein you're going to find, but they also include the organs and the bone matter into the food, which ensures that your animal is getting every single nutritional value point that they can. Also, check out the Lion's Mane Mushroom Extract for dogs. It's perfect. Uh, Our dog, Monroe, she's a lab. She's got a little bit of anxiety, uh, especially during thunderstorms. And Monroe's been using the Lion's Mane Mushroom Extract. You can find that under the Shop Now link at granddog.ca. And, Johnny, I've got an update on our backyard reinvention. Oh, 
the team at Eden Landscaping back at it yesterday. If you follow me on Instagram at Ryan Jesperson, you may have already seen this on my story. Uh, check this out. Yesterday, they were at it, and uh, they were packing down the limestone in the area that's going to be like our fireplace area, so mm-hmm. it's nice. It's not going to be like, spilling gravel all over the place and getting all messy. They pack it down, so it's really user-friendly, and what a moment when the trees went in. I've, I've only seen these in the 3D mock-ups up to this point, but when you see them in real life going in there, what I'm a coming over thing. soon. Man, we're putting in <laughs> lilac trees. And so I know that yeah. for a few weeks every year, those things are going to just explode uh, with visual power. They're bringing our outdoor space to life, Eden Landscaping is. And they can do the same for you. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Andrew Leach is uh, easily one of Canada's most recognized and respected energy economists. He's always been a great friend uh, to this show. I asked uh, MLA Aljunaid this uh, question. I'll ask you the same. What was your immediate or first response uh, when you heard about that moratorium last Thursday? First response was really irony that you have a government that has, you know, is facing hundreds of billions of dollars of reclamation liability from the oil and gas sector. And the irony of turning around and saying, well, you know, we're really concerned about um, what's going to happen in however many years when uh, these solar facilities or wind facilities are left behind. Uh, what can we do? And then, of course, as, as Kent Fellows pointed out really well yesterday in the Globe and Mail, that these are all projects that are private landowner projects on private land. And this is the Danielle Smith government stepping in and saying, you know what, rural landowners, you don't know what to do with your land you need the government to tell you how to manage it, how to contract with people leasing your land, et cetera. You need us to help you. And that's a, a weird spot for this government to be in, I thought. Uh, what do you think is prompting it? Like, what does your gut tell you? I think we saw a little bit of that yesterday with, with Rob Anderson and that uh, old footage from him. I think there's just an aversion to this kind of development. And, and you hear, you know, we, we must not have these new energy facilities disrupting our viewscapes, they're butt ugly, et cetera. And I think, you know, they do change the landscape there. Anyone that's that's ridden or, or walked out in West Edmonton by the water treatment plant, this is a they they do use up a lot of land. But you know, when you think about the Alberta landscape, we're always looking at landscape that is disrupted for industrial use, whether it's large canola fields, wheat fields, pump jacks, gas plants, et cetera. We're often looking at a disrupted landscape, and, and I think we are going to see it as a great picture there that uh, the Johnny's pulled up as well, um, where you see, you know, different types. There's no pump jack in that one that I can see, but but it wouldn't be common now to have all three within the same picture, a wind turbine or a solar panel, a pump jack, a canola field. And that's all disruption from the typical prairie landscape. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like for me, uh, I, n- I never want to like just laugh off or scoff at people's concerns about things. I think I, I think it's disingenuous yeah. and short sighted, and and I don't think that that's you know my job as a talk host. But but I do, uh, and and also I'm not trying to create a disingenuous comparison here. I'm about to talk about like industrial parks and industrial land, and then agricultural land, and I recognize that those are different. But I do find it ironic that we'll, we we will. Sell celebrate hundreds of millions or billions of dollars poured into refineries or big projects. We love when we hear that Aurora, which they're not even operating anymore. You remember that Aurora Sky facility that they built near the Edmonton Airport? 800,000 square feet.
feet to grow cannabis. Nobody was bitching about that one. I don't see anybody complaining about Amazon warehouses going up. All we talked about is the jobs they're going to create. Now, people could poke holes in my comparisons, but it just, to me, I guess I'm having a hard time, and I'm not a landowner. I'm not a rancher. I get it. We're about to read some emails from people with perspectives different than mine, but I have a hard time believing that because a few people were concerned about a valid concern, and that is the loss of good topsoil and farming land, um, or that some people are concerned that their view is being impeded by wind turbines, that all of a sudden the government of a province that was holding three quarters of sustainable energy development in the year prior to this one, an enormous economic boon for Alberta. And, and what a great narrative as well, by the way. I mean, if I'm working in the energy war room, the Canadian Energy Center, I am all over those stats, Andrew. Uh, it just seems to me uh, to be a little bit strange. I mean, my spidey senses are tingling that, if, that, that some rural landowners are concerned about their view and all of a sudden the government just throws the brakes on like billions of dollars of projects. It just, I don't know, as a civilian, it doesn't add up. And you have the rural landowners. You also have, of course, as, as you talked about yesterday and, and I think earlier today, the big spike in electricity prices. So you have that, you have essentially the the legacy of the NDP government that I worked with a little bit uh, to uh, in terms of bringing on more renewables and bringing on uh, uh, phasing out coal by 2030. There's a desire by this government to tie everything that, despite all the evidence, to tie everything that's happening with the electricity prices right now to whether it's renewables or the coal phase out, not to market behavior. And they, they want to talk about anything but that. So this gives them a way to say, you know, well, we, we understand, we know you're paying high electricity prices. We're going to stop this solar and, and to a lesser degree wind development in its tracks to, to figure out what's going on. And it, it's creating, again, more of that perception that it's the solar and wind that's causing the uh, the high electricity prices when probably exactly the opposite is true. Tom's in our live chat. Uh, Tom says golf courses take up more agricultural land than renewable energy in Alberta. Time for a moratorium there. Tom, you stop with that crazy talk. Uh, uh, but uh, Andrew, how much of this do you think, like you understand energy markets and, and this is why we're grateful to have you on the show. You understand where things are going, where they are right now, where they have been, et cetera, trends and demand and all that kind of stuff. Um, how much of this do you think is, is about uh, protecting, preserving and growing natural gas uh i i don't you know the, the natural gas and in, in terms of the production side of natural gas or the industry the production industry i don't think it plays a big role i think there is a little bit of the legacy power generators but again i think this this isn't a story of as far as i can tell the government going out and consulting with big business or big oil and gas and saying what we really need to do is stop these solar and wind plants in their tracks. I, I I don't see that footprint here. I mean, I might be wrong, but I see a government facing a lot of consumer and voter backlash over electricity prices. I see the, the rural landowners that we've already talked about and a government looking to kind of hang this on a government that was last in office, you know, four and a half years ago. Okay, but how, like, how is this, this moratorium, how, how is that to be, perceive i'm not asking you to carry water for the government yeah. but like how is this no, to I, be presented as an as an as a response to skyrocketing energy prices i don't know it seems to be a move in the opposite direction 
Well, I think what what you're seeing is a little bit of that correlation is causation. So what have we seen in the last two and a half years, really, we've seen a massive uptick in, in particular, solar. We've seen the Alberta electric system operators or our grid operator go from a forecast of, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 megawatts of solar into the 2030s to 4,000 megawatts by 2026. And so they've real this, this has really hit the grid rapidly and at the same time as these spikes that everybody's seeing in their electricity bills. And so, you know, for the government, that's that's essentially why they're saying we need to be seen to be doing something. What are we going to do? Well, this is something. So let's do this. And, and I think that's a large part of why you're seeing this right now. I think the regulator and the grid operator were caught a little bit flat footed by how quickly solar expanded how much um how much capacity was coming onto the system and we saw them kind of playing catch up in a really big hurry at the beginning of this year so again it's not that surprising that you see the regulator the grid operator and the government saying whoa what are we going to do now we need some time to catch up and and i think that's that's what's behind this andrew you didn't happen to get your hands on an embargoed copy of uh minister gibbo's draft net zero electricity regulations did you i I haven't seen the draft uh i was i did come out of a a briefing presentation this morning so i've seen bits and pieces but i haven't seen the full okay can you can you give us a few tidbits i mean some some of the insights high level stuff that you noticed um I don't think I'm at liberty to share that presentation. I probably shouldn't, but okay. I, but I think it's it's in line with what they've been signaling for a long time, which is some flexibility on natural gas generation to maintain that flexibility to meet uh, whether it's peak demand periods or low wind, solar, hydro generation periods. 2035 is kind of the starting point, not really the end point. So new facilities are going to have a little bit more wiggle room than than 2035, but it's still going to be a piece of regulation that presents a huge challenge for for Alberta, probably even more so for Saskatchewan. And then again, for New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, I think you're going to see some big challenges out east as well. Uh, interesting to see Alberta's former energy minister in the live chat today, uh, Mark McCaig Boyd. Uh, shout out to her. She says some of this issue, I think, is about nimbyism. She says uh, it isn't all about the landowners, but neighbors uh, who don't have a say. Interesting. You're nodding your head. Yeah, I had a uh, back and forth on Twitter uh, with somebody who was pointing out to me, you know, one of the issues here is uh, non-resident landowners, that the people who are leasing the land. And, and again, I, I don't have a sense of how widespread this is, but instead of leasing the land to a neighboring farmer for cropping, you're leasing the land for 20 years, 25 years, et cetera, for a solar farm. And it's not your view that's being obstructed. It's not your um, it's not your acreage that you're looking at or not your home acreage that you're looking at, but yet your neighbors are left uh, with a very different viewscape than they're used to. Rather than looking out at, at canola fields in, in July, they're looking out at uh racks and racks of black solar panels and and so that i i think the neighbors that are being disrupted and of course knowing that you know that thing that you're looking at that you might not want to look at is leading to your neighbor earning tens of thousands of dollars more per year than you are probably plays a role as well 
Uh, I want to ask you about a comment that the premier made on her uh, free radio show over the weekend. Um, She she sort of took a a bit of a different angle, uh, provided, I guess you might say, different justification for this six, seven month moratorium Um, instead of, you know, landowner concerns and scenery and remediation and protecting agricultural land. She said, it's also Ottawa, right? She said that, um, you know, the, the backup plants powered by natural gas are needed for when wind's not blowing or for when the sun's not shining. She says, but the feds don't want Alberta to add any natural gas electricity plants to the grid. Quote, so I've told them, how can I bring on additional wind and solar if I'm not able to secure the reliability of my power grid, my power grid, by being able to bring on natural gas peaker plants? That's the heart of the problem. No one is proposing, said the premier, any new natural gas plants because the federal government has created so much uncertainty in the market. Your response? There's some truth to it. The federal government is introducing new regulations that essentially say new natural gas plants, you're going to face a very stringent emission standard 10 to 15 years down the road. And not a lot of information yet on what exactly that looks like, how it will be enforced, how flexible it will be, et cetera. So, you know, as with anything else, you know, you wouldn't build, you wouldn't commit to a 20 or 30 year project if the last 15 years of that project are really uncertain and might be a a zero or even a loss for you. So I I think she's not wrong about that. And I think, you know, when you look at um, Alberta and our electricity system, the real challenge is those, those winter months where, you know, solar and battery storage just isn't going to do much for you. Wind is is okay, but you still have periods with limited wind. So we, you know, we're not thinking of designing a grid that relies entirely on wind and solar, but the premier's right to say, okay, then what? And this is where you get into us being caught pretty flat-footed. We haven't uh, developed any new inner ties to import power from BC when wind is not blowing and when the sun is not shining and to export power when it is. And that's the key thing that I think we're lacking right now is that investment in new transmission infrastructure. And, you know, we should have been thinking about that 10 years ago. We've been talking about it maybe for 20 years, but you know, that that's the, the missing piece here. And so in a way we've almost created our own problem. We've said, well, we're going to be alone on this Island in our, in an electricity sense and now the federal government is telling us we there are things we can't do on our electricity island or our almost electricity island. Uh, and so we've we've tied our own hands. We're like, we'd like to build gas. We might want to build nuclear. We might build something that will supply power when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. But the federal government is saying there is a limited number of things you can do now to, to accomplish those goals. So, you know, she's not wrong that the federal government is tying the hands a little bit. I think where she gets uh, off track is when she says, well, this means we can't add more wind and solar. And it doesn't really mean that. It just means we need to find something that ensures that we can supply power when the wind and the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. Uh, it's been interesting. We talked to the federal minister, Gibbo, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, just after the stampede and, and, and asked him about this, you know, the, their path to net zero. And and obviously 2035, 2050 are pretty significant dates there. And and I'll play a clip from him in just a second. Um, I mean, they're they're like 
you know, I guess the word I would use is is unapologetic. Like they, they're like, this is where we're going. This is why we need to get there. Um, he cites the example of Volkswagen coming to to Canada uh, because of some opportunity there, based on what their shareholders are looking for. And then and then we'll yeah, talk. Nothing to, to do with the billions of dollars in subsidies no, at all. I'm sure. Yeah. By it the way, just our, it was just our clean electricity system. Doesn't it seem like Volkswagen also got off really easy for like basically fucking lying to everybody for years and years about emissions? But I digress. Um, and and then you talk to to you know, representatives of the UCP, the premier environment minister and others, and, and they will be unapologetic about their opposition to that, about pushing back on 2035. I'm curious for your take, like which, whether it lands somewhere in the middle or, or whatever it is, um, who's right on this? Like is, is the federal government, uh, is 2035 reasonable and realistic? I mean, I know that you'll have advocates for climate action that'll say like, it's too long, it's too far away from now. And then you'll have others that say, this is crazy. So what do you think? If you're talking about getting those last couple of megatons out of the system, those last uh, bits of emissions, that's where it gets really hard. It's like that 80-20 rule, it seems to apply to everything. But, uh, and I think that's where I would take partial issue with the federal government, which is, you know, exactly how hard do you need to push this sector compared to all of the other sectors and and the same is to some extent true in in oil and gas as well that we are we've committed to a very aggressive target for 2030 for 2030 for 2050 and our carbon price isn't stringent enough to get us there well what are we doing we're ramping up stringency on oil and gas and on electricity and maybe less so on some other sectors of the economy and i think that's where I'd take issue with with their approach, which is you're going as hard as you possibly can on a couple of sectors that, you know, as it turns out, have really big presence in Western Canada, not as big presence in Central Canada or necessarily on the West Coast. And so you have a a very regionally diverse uh, cost structure here is very costly in certain regions, not that costly at all in others. Yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to get details, by the way, on on these uh, these uh, electricity regulations from the feds. And I know that there's going to be different. You know, they're saying the proposed regulations. This is a, a leak to CBC News, but they're saying uh, it'll permit the use of non-emitting sources: hydro, wind, solar, nuclear, but also natural gas and diesel if they meet specific criteria. And then remote and northern communities not connected to main grids uh, won't have to suddenly switch. They say there will be exceptions in those places as you might uh expect um shout yeah, out anything to- remote is out it's the, yeah, the, mean- the big the big kicker is going to be what they do with for for alberta what they do with oil sands and the um, combined heat and power yeah and if all of a sudden you're bringing those plants into the regulation then you know you're taking out a source of you know we use base load a lot in this discussion but those 24 7 365 power net to the grid that we all use that comes from the oil sands uh if all of a sudden that regulation says to the oil sands companies we're going to have a really tight standard on you if you ship net to the grid then the incentive on the oil sands companies is not necessarily to clean up their electricity it's just to use it in-house and to not send that little extra off the top out to the electricity grid. It's not going to be worth it to them. Andrew, and I think that it sounds small, but that could actually pull a rug out from under a lot of what we're talking about doing in, uh, in Alberta, because you lose some of that 
24-7-365 firm power that you, that you do rely on. If somebody comes up to you like in a pub and just, just like wants to have like a, a pedestrian level, sort of a civilian level chat about something, because I hear this question all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to know your response. Like someone will come up to you and say, you know, Dr. Leach, tell me this. We know that there's going to be a global demand for, for oil and gas for decades to come. And we are sitting on a ton of it. And it employs a significant uh, number of our of, of our population from, you know, recent high school graduates all the way up to people that have enjoyed long careers. How does it make any sense uh, to, to, to hamstring ourselves or to nail our feet to the floor before that demand starts to wane? And I'm talking about this in, in the context of things like oil sands emissions caps, which essentially are production caps, unless I understand that incorrectly. What would you say to the person in the pub? The starting point is... We're, I think, going to be more and more faced with the choice of do we regulate our own sector or do we subject ourselves to regulation imposed by others, right? We've already seen big consequences in Alberta, whether it's financing, insurance, um, pipeline access, market access, all European Union, California policies, et cetera, that target our oil sands and say, you know what? Uh, you're not compatible with what we view as a future, even in a world that uses oil, uh, you're not compatible with that. We've seen global oil majors, Shell, one big example, exit the oil sands. So that availability of capital has all become um, you know, much more challenging because of the emissions footprint of the oil sands. So I think there is a very strong domestic case for us to act and to keep acting in a way that's globally credible, that preserves some of the value of that resource. Uh, to me, on the on the demand side, I worry less about global demand than I worry about prices. And so if you think about what do we really care about in Alberta, we care about how much the world is willing to pay for a barrel of oil. We don't really care whether they're using 100 million barrels a day or 90 or 70 or 60. And prices don't necessarily follow with global consumption. We've had periods of really low prices when the world was using more oil year over year over year, I think 2014 and 2014 through to 2018. We saw global oil demand growth all the way through that and prices were in the toilet. Um, more recently, we've seen prices spike in periods where demand growth has been pretty anemic. And so, you know, that's more what you care about. Is the world going to be short oil in the sense of willing to pay a lot for it? If so, then we want to do a lot to preserve our ability to supply. I'll, I'll cite Kent Fellows again as a great piece on oil sands resilience and, and supplying, quote unquote, the last barrel. I think you, you know, that's where Alberta's resource can be well positioned if it's low emissions. But if you're putting yourself in the position of we want to be a supplier of oil, but we don't want to act on climate change. We don't want to be part of those global solutions. Then you're putting all of that at risk, regardless of what global oil demand is. Andrew, we always appreciate your time. One quick question from Ken before we go. Uh, it might not be quick. It depends on how you answer it. Uh, he's wondering if you can talk about the capacity market that the Alberta Electricity, uh, I think it's the Alberta Electrical Systems Operator, is that the AESO, uh, tried to launch in 2019, he says, but it was canceled uh, by the Conservatives. Do you have a comment on that? In the, uh, we may, we're going to need, and the ASO just launched this week, a, a review of our market structure. And I think that's that makes sense. We've gone from an electricity world where the way you design an electricity system is sort of build big 
facilities that operate 24-7, 365, and that was the cheapest way to supply power. And we've kind of taken for granted that those facilities will be there. As the world uh, evolves, as we see the innovation that that Mr. Schultz talked about yesterday, now the cheapest source of energy is often renewable power, but it doesn't come with that firm capacity. You can't turn the wind on or turn the sun on when you want to. So I think Alberta is going to need a rethink of its its market structure. Uh, that capacity market that was proposed in, in up to 2019 probably didn't have enough teeth to do what you wanted to do because it only talked about you know one year promise of a market for your new technology or for your new plant. You need something that says, hey, if you're willing to build this, whether it's a battery, uh, some other type of storage, hydro, et cetera, nuclear, small modular reactor, we'll, we're willing to guarantee you a longer term payment that might make uh, a big difference in Alberta today in a way that it wouldn't have four or five years ago. Uh, Dr. Andrew Leach is an energy and environmental economist, a professor jointly appointed to the Department of Economics and the Faculty of Law at the University of Alberta. You can find him on Twitter or X. You're still hanging around on there, hey? Yeah, still. I, I can't let it go. Yeah, me neither, pal. Nice to see your face. Thanks for doing this. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. Uh, and, and by the way, let it let it not fly under the radar that I think the good doctor just gave you a, a fantastic new nickname, Johnny on the Spot. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Heard that a lot throughout my life. Uh, I appreciate. Yeah. I appreciate when you get shouts out from audience members uh, that that double as guests. Yeah, uh, that recognize how quick you come up with some of the visual elements when they're talking about. This is all done on the fly. We do mm-hmm. this live. So I appreciate when when you tell me. Thanks for doing your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, nice to see Tara Lynn in the live chat. She says uh, a round table, a real talk round table with this week's guests. Oh yeah, would be amazing. She says, I think that if you add all four of them together, that would be popcorn worthy. So we'd have Binyu from Pembina. We'd have uh, Minister Schultz and, uh, and MLA Algenade, And we'd have Dr. Leach. Yeah, I mean, that, would, that could be good. I want to make clear, we didn't ask either of the, the, the politicians' teams about this. So this is not shade at them. Uh, I'm just saying as a general comment, it's, it's, it's harder these days. This is a trend I've noticed. I'm not talking about our politicians that have been on the show this week. I'm saying, generally speaking, it's harder to get them on together. It's, it's harder to get opposing politicians on roundtables together. Mm-hmm. I've just noticed it was way easier several years ago. I wonder why that ago. is. Well, I think it's, you know, <laughs> I think like if you're in government, you probably feel like you have a little bit more to lose if, if a critic really goes at you on a talk show. Sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, that would be one of my theories. Um, but, but, but in particular, there are a few politicians that we used to pair up all the time back in the day on terrestrial radio, and, and they, they seem both to have, uh, or at least one of them, less of an appetite to mm-hmm. do it again here on Real Talk. Maybe it's because it's a little more unpredictable on Real Talk. You know, you don't, it's, you, you know, well, that, you are, you're kind of signing up for a debate. You know, yeah, like well, hundred percent. No prep and <laughs> well, and a debate with an engaged uh, and hungry audience, which uh, you know is is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Um, why don't we get to that Gilbo clip in just a second? I want to sure. throw to that because this this is the one where he talks about Volkswagen, and I appreciate uh, Andrew's comment on that as well. The billions of dollars in subsidies that drew Volkswagen here is a good look for the feds to be able to bring in and you know one of the the world's biggest automakers to Canada, and there are layers to that story, but it's part of the justification that the minister used. Uh, to pushing provinces and territories toward net zero grids by 2035. Uh, this conversation is presented uh, by our amazing friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, who want to remind you that if you're thinking of putting solar panels on your roof, 
whether it's a commercial space, uh, maybe it's your you know biggest investment, your home, uh, maybe it's your barn for that matter. Nobody does it better in Alberta, BC, Northwest Territories, Yukon, Saskatchewan, you name it, than Kubi Renewable Energy. Check out kubienergy.ca to check out some of the different projects, some of the different installations they've done. Uh, beautiful ones in Kamloops. I love these ones in Canmore, BC. Imagine being a solar installer up on the roof just staring at the mountains while great you work. Great job. Yeah. You know, wouldn't that be great? They're hiring, by the way. If you're an electrician or an apprentice, you want to get in on the green energy movement, Kubi is hiring right now. Creston, Bellacoola, Sparwood, BC. Our thoughts in Sparwood right now, those big fires. Uh, Kubi Renewable Energy is leading the charge, Waka Waka. And they'd love to hear from you. If you're looking for employment opportunities, check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca. You know who else is hiring is our friends at Apex Automation. If you're interested in working in some of the industries that are that are driving the Canadian economy, but being on the leading edge of them, understanding where industry is going, industry 4.0, we're talking about automation and things like mining, power generation, pipelines, natural gas. I mean, they're doing stuff on really neat stuff in potash. They're automating breweries. A lot of the craft brewers in Western Canada have been doing work with Apex Automation, and they're looking for engineers. If you have your PNG, you're looking for a change of pace, you'd love to be somewhere where they're going to really give you opportunity to pursue your own professional potential. They want you to grow while you're there on their team. You can check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. We love these guys, and I guarantee you sit down with a conversation with them, you'll find out in the first two minutes, you'll understand why their team is growing as fast as it is. There's something different about the culture at Apex Automation. Want to give a shout out to our friends at Local Environmental Services coming up on tomorrow's show, Trash Talk, presented by local if you got something to say you need to rant you can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com they're operating in alberta and saskatchewan everything from front load bins and roll off bins like maybe maybe you're redoing the siding on your house or you're getting a roof job done maybe it's a situation where you're purging your basement we saw a big local bin on our street just the other day always love seeing that telltale green bin and i love when my neighbors are supporting real talk sponsors as well you could tell they were decluttering their basement and so they had one of those temporary bins there they do it all and you're going to pay less quite frankly when you take your business to local you can find them online for service in alberta and saskatchewan at localenvironmental.ca we got some emails to get to from tom and amy about conversations we've had on the show this week uh amy fought hard to to be one of the first to shut down. She says their group, the first to shut down a solar project in Alberta. She says they did it for the birds. But let's get to this clip. If you missed the environment minister on our show, I believe it was July 19th off the top of my head. Stephen Gilbeau talked about why he believes it's the right move, why the feds are steadfast in pushing the provinces to get to net zero grids in the next 12 years. But what we want to do is tackle the emissions from the electricity sector, have as much renewables as we can, but we also we know we need to have a reliable grid. You know, if doesn't it doesn't help anyone if come January first, twenty thirty five, people turn off the switch and it doesn't work. It, it's not good for me. It's not good for business. It's not good for Canadians. That's not what we want. But we want to decarbonize as fast as we can the electricity grid. Why? Because we know. I mean, it's good for the environment. It's going to create a lot of jobs, like it's doing here in Alberta. But it's also how we attract companies, large companies from around the world 
who are looking to invest in jurisdiction that have near zero emissions from their electricity sector. That's how we got Volkswagen to come to, 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 to Ontario. First European car manufacturer ever in the history of Canada to, to come. And one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's the fact that it's a, it's a low emitting grid in Ontario and the fact that there is a commitment by the federal government to be net zero because they want to produce net zero vehicle by 2035, 2030, 2033. That's a commitment they've made to their clients and they're being pushed by their investors, by their clients to produce greener product. Well, in order to produce greener products, they need to go to places that have low emitting electricity and soon enough, net zero electricity. That was Stephen Gobo on Real Talk back on July 19th. If you want to hear the full interview, you can check it out uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, you can find us on YouTube as well. Where Johnny's doing a killer job, by the way, with our shorts. And uh, I, I tweeted uh, out a, a text that we got yesterday from uh, a guy by the name of Mike. He's a, a regular mm-hmm. listener to the show. We sure appreciate that. And he was talking about how much he's he's enjoying the bite-sized highlight chunks that we're putting out yeah, there. They're just better when you have, you know, the best parts of the interview. You know, you got three minutes. Yeah. And you want to get to the heart of the matter. So you go to our short, you watch our short. And then at the end, the end screen will take you to the highlight. And then if you like the highlight, go watch the whole darn thing. Exactly. It's, it's and so you can find it on our, our YouTube channel. That's Real Talk Ryan Jesperson. We appreciate those of you that that subscribe more than 11,000 of you, which is awesome. We'd obviously like to see that at 100,000. Or a million, John, one day. Uh, but you can just scroll down and you'll find it all neatly organized. The full episodes, the shorts, 60 seconds or less, and then the highlights, which are also great to share. Three to five minutes. You know, three to five minutes, kind of just the best of the best of real talk. And you, and you can find it there. Um why don't we get, hey, do you, are you in the mood to, why don't we roll the short from yesterday? I like that because it'll kind of tee up our emails here. So so this was, here's the context. We got an email from Sarah who grew up near Brooks, Alberta, and she worked with landowners right around the time that a massive solar project was going in in Brooks. I think it was 2016, if I remember correctly, just a short time ago. Um, and, and here's a portion of what she emailed in about. Landowners, they were chomping at the bit to find unproductive land that they could lease to solar operators. Go a little further north of Brooks into that special area's land. It's super sunny, but there's no water. And the only use that that land is ever put to is grazing, and it's full of alkali. That's why it's special areas and crown land. It's why it's not owned by landowners. It's never been homesteaded. It has very little value other than being covered in oil wells. It would make amazing land for solar farms without taking any cropland away my next door neighbor was an electrician his family kept their business their house and their livelihood alive because of that solar project when oil tanked in 2015 2016 his company lost all its contracts and working on building that solar farm saved not only them but the 15 people that they employed sarah says this moratorium is garbage and it's only going to hurt alberta that's the short from yesterday so i tweeted it out Right. And not everybody loved it. Uh, It was one person's opinion. We invite and welcome all opinions to the show. Uh, But football fan on Twitter uh, asked me, what makes you think Sarah represents the opinions of all Albertans? Uh, I don't remember saying that. Is it just picking and choosing the response that suits your narrative again? Says football fan. I'll never watch or listen to your worthless show. 
because it doesn't reflect reality. I don't think he ever listened in the first place. I think that they listen every <laughs> single day. Hate and they listen. just don't want to tell us about it. We encourage thousands of hate listens every single day. And don't forget, if you hear something on the show you disagree with, tell us why. You know what we want to get into more frequently as well is mm-hmm. people have started doing this. They're sending us like video responses. So instead That's of great. Take, it's We'd love perfect. to throw them up. Yeah. And you can shoot it in landscape form as Grab well. So phone. we can put it on our uh, YouTube. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that it's a great way to do it. We're actually going to be sharing uh, on Tuesday, Monday, I think Tuesday of next week, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to get on a CFL podcaster. He wrote in this fantastic email, uh, basically going up one side of us and down the other, not you, Johnny, but me, for our assessment of the health of the CFL yeah. on our most recent Real Talk Roundtable. He wrote this amazing email, and I said... Oh, I remember this one. I yeah. said, yeah, I said, I said it to you. I said, I said, forget about your email. I said, just come on the show. Yeah. So he's going to come on on Tuesday, but we got unsolicited, I love this, a video message from another audience member who just felt like he could better sort of stream his consciousness on video than he could on email. So we're going to play that on Tuesday during that interview. Perfect. Yeah. Send those yeah. in and we'll play them whenever we can. 100%. And it's better for the show. It's better listening for people that mm-hmm. are on the podcast as well. Uh, but here's a couple of, of, of messages that have been sent in to us. This one from Tom down in Lethbridge. He says, Jespo, even after hearing warnings for years uh, that governments might want to shut down Alberta's energy economy for ideological reasons... I was still surprised when the UCP did just that by banning the solar and wind industries from our province for the next seven months or more, depending on potential new restrictions. Says this shutdown affects 91 current projects representing $25 billion in investment over 30,000 job years. Uh, says these are investments that could easily be redirected to more friendly jurisdictions. Investors are unlikely to stick around when all they have to look forward to is perhaps failing to get a permit after this lengthy green ban is lifted. Tom says the average person may not care about the provincial economy, but they will care when they look at their future electricity bills. Alberta Market Surveillance is reporting that the recent increase in renewable energy in our electricity market has reduced our prices. Blocking renewables, the least expensive form of generation, means we'll see an increase in prices. The derailed projects could affordably power 5 million homes. Tom says, writing from Southern Alberta, Southern Alberta is hit particularly hard by this industry shutdown. Many of the jobs and projects are located in the south because of the bountiful wind and solar resources located in our part of the province. Unfortunately, it's clear the provincial government doesn't care about Southern Alberta or jobs or electricity prices or the economy. Uh, says Tom. They're essentially much like a group of religious fanatics whose God is the divinity of carbon burning. No facts or logic or economic reality from the 21st century will sway them. He signs off, sincerely yours, Tom and Lethbridge. Oh, that's... I like that. The Canadians, hey, we just like throw fire and then we sign off. And another thing. Thank you. All the best and have a blessed day. (laughs) (laughs) This one from Amy... Amy says, uh, Ryan, uh, I saw your show uh, with Rebecca Schultz, the minister, um, and I've been listening to a lot of your viewers' remarks. As an individual who lives in rural Alberta, uh, I write in as one who fought and won a project denial 
uh, from the AUC, the Utilities Commission, uh, says uh, the solar project, the the Foothills Solar Project, and, and I want to just for background for our audience members, this is one that was uh, uh, this was a, a story that goes back just to April of this year. So this is recent. Okay, says that this Foothills Solar Project uh, by Frank Lake. This company was Im- ignoring Alberta directives. Uh, to not build within uh, a kilometer of a wetland IBA. That's important bird or biodiversity area. I only know that because I Googled it. Amy says this company wanted to build in this bird sanctuary because it was cheaper to do so. Uh, This on the AUC Utilities Commission hearing record of them stating it was cheaper to build in a bird sanctuary than in an area that's not a bird sanctuary. And we, the FLCC, that's the Frank Lake Concerned Citizens Group, are the first in Alberta to stop a solar project being built. Um, Amy uh, attached the AUC ruling on this, and, and anybody can find it. You, you can just uh, Google it. Um, just Google AUC uh, Frank Lake, and it'll come up, or Foothills Solar Project area. I'm showing it to you on my screen right now. But she basically says, this shows that we do have issues in rural area areas in rural Alberta that the Alberta government is now listening to. That from Amy. Uh, says that solar should not be built on Class 3 agricultural land. This is the best-growing land in Alberta, uh, and solar is being built on it currently, un, uh, or contrary to what some individuals think. Uh, she says, I'm completely fine with poor-growing land being used. That's what Sarah talked about yesterday in her email, uh, but not prime agricultural land. Um, and Amy, I don't know that anybody would disagree with you. She says, with the droughts across Alberta, we need all available Class 3 land to grow and to grow more, to pick up the slack of other affected lands. But what's going on? They are removing uh, available Class 3 lands. They're putting solar on it. If we keep using this good agricultural land, we'll be left with nothing. Uh, and no availability, no ability to pick up the slack of land affected by drought. Amy says, thanks for hearing me out, and I hope this information is helpful. Hmm. Amy, we always want more fulsome understandings of issues, and we want to hear from you, our audience members. Uh, so even though football fans says that, that they'll never listen to what they, what did they say, our lousy show <laughs> that, that has you know, no benefit, uh, I prefer, for, instead of you know, throwing hand grenades at us on, on social media, why not take the time to present your perspective? I can't guarantee we'll have it on the show, but if it makes sense and, and, and you know, it's not hate speech, chances are we're going we're gonna to give you a platform to have mm-hmm. your say. I like that email. I, I like people who are for the animals, but I don't know, like oil contamination causes just as much harm to animals. You know what I'm scared of? And our first guest, Nagwan, brought this up is that eventually the oil companies and the big energy companies are going to switch to solar and wind and hydro and all that. And I don't think they're going to give a shit where they build it. You know what I mean? Because, you know, so that's my biggest fear is like, you know, I want to push for all this green and clean energy. I was just reading about Germany this morning. Almost 50% of their energy now coming from wind and solar. They're still trying to figure out, like some of our guests are commenting, heat, stuff in the winter, AC, that's that's a harder thing to do. But my fear is that these big energy companies are just going to flip to clean energy and then they're not going to care where they build it. Mm. Justin says, I'm torn on this one, if I'm being honest. I don't necessarily think that birds should be considered when a solar project should realistically not impact the habitat much uh, as compared to alternatives. You also got to keep in mind, like one of the things I think is kind of funny, not in like a ha-ha funny way, but just ironic, is a lot of people right now are saying, uh, you know, wind and solar wouldn't have grown in the early stages without subsidies. 
You know, so it's unsustainable. And I sit there and I'm going like, have you paid any attention to like 75 years of, of the history of oil and gas? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that government shouldn't create incentive for development. I'm not Don't saying that it. government shouldn't create favorable economic landscapes for investment. They should. But you've got to hold industries to the same standard, yeah. right? People are saying people are concerned about remediation. Well, what are you going to do with all these concrete pads that have been poured for wind turbines when the turbine reaches end of life? Like, I don't know. We're not concerned about the oil wells, but we're concerned about wind turbines all of a sudden. Let's hold Mm. them to the same standard. And nobody believes, and I know that this is a a point that's been trotted out uh, en masse this week, but but it's true that, of course, and nobody would deny this, that on days of the year where there is there are fewer hours of daylight, solar will be less effective. Sure. Obviously, on days where there is less wind, wind turbines will be less effective. Obviously, and people are also pointing out that from September or October, let's say from harvest until late spring, farmland's not contributing much either, mm-hmm. right? We're not exactly growing peas and soybeans and canola in the middle of December. People know that. And so let's have a, let's have a realistic, informed, logical, evidence-driven conversation. I hope I'm not asking too much mm-hmm. when we're forming <laughs> our opinion, like Justin saying, I'm torn on this one. Pal, that's me on like 75% Everything. of the issues we talk about. Me too, because I'm the guy who's like, yeah, clean energy. But yesterday I went and read another note on solar i didn't know because we were talking about it yesterday and after the show i'm like i need to know more about this i didn't know you can farm and cattle can graze around the solar farms huh and people are doing that as well i don't know how exactly that works if they're spaced out enough that you can grow crops in between or if but apparently you could do that as well i didn't even know that well and 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 let's let's also point out that you know daniel smith's uh, history as a politician uh, with the Wild Rose Party initially, what was one of the, the, the first and very effective ways that the Wild Rose Party gained traction in Alberta, and in particular rural Alberta? Remember back in the days where there was just a few Wild Rose voices and they were really fighting to get your attention and to present that, that, that sort of true conservative vibe, that option away from the bloated and, and, and you know, sort of scandal-driven, big-spending PCs. You remember that era in Alberta politics, like, you know, early 2000s when that upstart Wild Rose Party started gaining traction and, and ultimately got to a point in 2012 where they almost formed government until they didn't? They were talking about landowner rights and they were talking about property rights. And in particular, they were talking about high transmission, the big transmission power lines that people were, you know, the government and industry were wanting to run through people's property and landowners didn't want them there. And the Wild Rose was fighting for those landowner and property rights. And, and what now is that same political leader, Daniel Smith, as premier doing? She's essentially telling property owners, landowners, that the government knows better than they do what they can do with their land. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. A lot of these projects that are being put on pause right now, or some of the projects that will die on the vine, are projects that are happening on privately owned land. How does the landowner feel about that? That's another thing that I think we have to consider here as we broaden the conversation on this. Now, I loved the idea from Tara Lynn. She said this would have made a great roundtable getting all these people on this. I, I want to promote, and, and we're not signing off quite yet, but the, our Real mm. Talk roundtable tomorrow is going to be great. You may remember a Positive Reflections that's presented by Kubi, first show of every week here. We featured uh, a, a principal, Daniel Erickson, and 
their teacher, Mr. T, they call him. Uh, I think his name's Tamafachuk, but I think it's Mr. T. And this is at New Murnham School, and they've won all of these awards. Like he won the Prime Minister's Award for Teaching Excellence mm-hmm. for, for, for their methods and for how they engage their students and, and really get their students thinking of ways to turn the theory into practical applications. Well, tomorrow's roundtable is going to be here in studio because th- this story demands a follow-up. The school won an Alberta Emerald Award. That's like a green, like an environmental award in June. So just a couple of months ago, uh, they connected with the lieutenant governor, which was super cool. And then they won their seventh consecutive A-plus for energy grant. Why? Because the students are leading what they call Team Net Zero, and they're taking a village-owned building near the school, and they're turning it into a Net Zero building. The students are doing it. So we're getting the principal, the teacher, and one of the students. They're going to join me in studio tomorrow, which is kind of, I thought, a neat way to wrap up our week, an electrifying week. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Charles Adler, uh, right here on Real Talk, so you won't want to miss that. I mean, a roundtable of all our guests this week would have been great, but I feel like we need the whole week because there's just just so many angles to all of this. And this is great for us to be able to do this in the summer where people are kind of more into themes of like mini series and themed content. You got a bit more time. Like I picture somebody right now just cruising the shoe swap. (laughs) You know, you're 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 in that the loneliest position in B.C., which is the captain of the houseboat. You Mm -hmm. know, if you've ever done this job, the captain has the loneliest job uh, and you got your AirPods in and you're listening. You're catching up to your real talk. And I love that stuff. Well, go Uh, back over the last two weeks. You've got like an eight or nine part series on yeah. clean energy on Alberta so. energy clean energy and where the industry is going mm-hmm. 100% we love that uh, lots of fuel so to speak for future best of episodes our friends at Friesen Brothers want to let you know about something new that they're rolling out and if you're on your way to a picnic a family gathering or you just feel like indulging you're not going to want to miss Friesen Brothers Pies, and in particular, a seasonal twist to the latest masterpiece from Friesen Brothers Mother Dough Bread Company Bakers. These are handcrafted from scratch peach pies, John. They are baked fresh daily. Saw them there yesterday. 100%. Were you there yesterday? Yeah, they guessed what they got. They got the yellow watermelon back at the Robin Hill Road. I love those yellow watermelons. Those are great. These peach pies are 100% real peaches. This isn't like the canned stuff, you know what I mean? 100% Alberta flour as well for that amazing crust. The ultimate treat to savor as summer winds down. There's more information again at Friesen.com slash pies. Our friends at Complete Care Restoration hope that you never have to call them. Uh, I mean, they're sure that you're nice folks, but they don't want to meet you, at least not in the context of disaster repair, of disaster uh, recovery, of repairing your space and restoring it to its former glory. But if you find yourself with that gut punch and you're dealing with fire damage, flood damage, even mold or asbestos removal, maybe you opened up a wall in your place, you thought it was going to be a small renovation, all of a sudden it's a big one, you're going to want to visit completecarerestoration.ca. They focus on making each and every project, regardless of size and scope, a fulfilling experience for themselves and their customers. And they see every work opportunity as a chance to meet new friends and enrich each other's lives. Being a helping hand is their utmost priority. We have seen them in action. We've worked with them. I can tell you, this is a small business that has a big impact. If you find yourself dealing with fire or flood, mold or asbestos, call Complete Care Restoration at 780-454-0776. 
And this feels like an appropriate focus considering the subject matter today. It's no surprise, no secret that oil sands operations contribute significant carbon emissions in Canada. So the six largest companies are working together and with governments, provincially and federally, to take strides on the path to net zero from their operations. Part of that plan includes developing a proposed carbon capture and storage network by 2030. It's going to be one of the world's largest. You can learn more about how they're working to help Canada achieve its climate change goals by visiting pathwaysalliance.ca. So yeah, tomorrow's show is going to be a great one. We hope that you'll join us. This will be obviously, this, this man, this week flew by quickly. The short week, thanks to that August long weekend, already Friday, which means you know you've got that Real Talk roundtable. I'm putting a call out to educators, to parents. If your school or your kids are doing something super cool as well, we'd love to hear about it. We'll weave those stories into our conversation tomorrow. You can email us anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And a reminder, again, it's August 10th today. That's Miracle Treat Day. Make sure you visit the Dairy Queen if you're anywhere in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park, all in proceeds of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. Thanks for putting your money where all of our mouths are, friends. That's real talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer, Josh Dunford. Technical Producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's Editorial Board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.